good morning. I think, uh, not to contradict Will, but I think Pastor Phil is in Delaware today, or Maryland. His kids don't even know where he is, <laughs> apparently. He's somewhere in the mid-Atlantic. Somewhere. Also, Will stole my water as he was coming down from his, he was just trying to rattle me as I, lucky I'm, lucky. Here. Yeah, I'm lucky you are here. We are all lucky that you're here. Well, last night um, I was getting prepared, you know, and so I, I trying to get a regular routine for my bedtime. And uh, last night I had an uh, interesting dream. I didn't plan to, to open my sermon with this, but I, I do have a lot of dreams. I, I live like a whole other life uh, in my dreams, and it's actually quite tiring and stressful. I, I might want to actually get this checked out, but I remember more dreams than um, my regular days of my life, which is somewhat problematic because it's hard to remember whether or not something is real or not. But I frequently have stress dreams. Does anybody have stress dreams? Especially a recurring stress dream. And I have two of them. One is um, I'm at school, I'm at college specifically, and I've had a class all year long, and I haven't gone to the class, and, or I haven't done the assignments, <clears throat> which actually did happen to me where I did not go to a class for an entire semester. I was 18 years old and I failed the class. And then I retook it and got an A. But my second stress dream is that I'm not really public speaking, but I'm playing music for church because I've been playing music for church since I was about 13 years old. And um, when, I was doing, when I'm doing that, I frequently don't have the music that I'm playing or it's a song that I have no idea how to play or for some reason I'm not wearing a shirt and I'm, I'm getting ready to play on stage and, uh, and I, I think maybe they won't notice. <laughs> maybe they won't notice. But this morning, uh, or last night, I had a dream about um, uh, my dad, who was, uh, he was also a pastor and preached uh, from the time I was about 10 until I was 20. And we were together at a family event. He now lives in Florida. Uh, we were at a family event, and he was getting ready to pray for whatever we were going to have. It was like a birthday party or something like that. And he's getting ready to pray, and there's loud music on on a radio. And so I get ready, as he's getting ready to pray, he starts praying, and I go to turn off the radio, and he grabs my collar like this and prevents me from going and turning off the radio because I'm not giving attention to his prayer and to reverencing God. And I wonder if that has something to do with the stress of preparing a sermon and living in his shadow in some way. But um, So that's where I'm coming from this morning. But one thing my dad always said when he was preaching was um, he would say, we got to take the text in context and so we don't make a pretext out of it. And he's not the one who, who originated that phrase. But whenever we're looking at a text of Scripture, we have to see it in its proper context. Otherwise, you can make something, say whatever you want it to say. So this morning, we're going to be studying the passage known as the, the church discipline passage, a fun thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. It's called the Matthew 18 passage, and it only takes up five verses. It's Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, so if you want to turn with me in your Bibles there, we're going to look at Matthew 18, but the phrase Matthew 18 is actually almost shorthand for church discipline. Say, so did you Matthew 18 this situation, or we're going to exercise Matthew 18 on them, but the entire, passage, the entire chapter doesn't just talk about church discipline. So what I want to do is instead of just taking out this little portion of Scripture, I want to get a, a nice running start so that we're not taking it out of context and making it a pretext. 
but we're going to look at it in its full entirety. But I'm not going to read the entire thing because it, it is rather long. But I want you to kind of look at the headings and look at the, the, the titles there that might be in your Bible about what this passage is really about before we dive into the actual section. At the, if you're using an ESV Bible, you'll see at the top, who is the greatest? And at that time, Jesus came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to him and put him on, in the midst of them and said, whoever, uh, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in another place, Jesus says that whoever is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be a servant, will be someone who is humble, who is lowly, who is not vaunted and, and flaunting their, their knowledge or their ability, but is someone who is in a humble state. And then we see, if you uh, skip down to, cha- to verse 10, he says that uh, the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who has 99 sheep, and he goes and leaves the 99 and goes and seeks after the one who is in trouble, a servant. And then later on, we're going to skip uh, verses 15 through 20, and we're going to look at the parable of the unforgiving servant, where Peter says, how often should I forgive? Should it be seven times? Look at how humble I am. I'm going to forgive seven times. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. And in another place, Jesus says, 70 times seven. And in the passage following, Jesus illustrates that by saying that a man had a servant and he forgave him of a great debt. But that same servant comes and he finds his fellow servant who owes him maybe a hundred bucks and he chokes him out and says, pay me what you owe me. And so if we were to wrap all these things together, if we were to take these, sermon, these section headings and look at them, we're going to see that Jesus wants us to learn about how to be a servant, how to be humble. And that's the, the way that we're approaching our passage this morning. So I'm going to read from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Let's look at it together. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the pattern that you have given to us in Scripture, that your Son, Jesus, showed us how to truly serve and how to love other people, how to reconcile us to one another and to God. Lord, as we've read your word, help it to illuminate our hearts so that we might know exactly how we should be living our lives, what we should do, so that we may live and truly be faithful servants. In Jesus' name. So, uh, I've gone through the passage here, and we're going to look at how servanthood really is the key to this passage here. We talk about this passage a lot in terms of church discipline, but instead of thinking of it as church discipline, I want, it to think, I want us to think of it as reconciliation. And so my t- the title of my message this morning 
is the road to reconciliation. Now here in New Jersey, we uh, are one of two states where we do not have to pump our own gas. How many of you here, we have some kids, so maybe they'll raise their hands, but how many of you have never pumped your own gas in your entire life? My mother-in-law is here, and she has never pumped her, and the other has Sarah Bausch. Look at that. There's, I've seen t-shirts where it says, Jersey girls don't pump their own gas. And I think Oregon is the other state that doesn't pump their own gas. Those types of, of service stations are called full service, and then everywhere else is self-serve, right? So I want us to think about the Christian life as being on a road to reconciliation, and so hopefully this will help stick in your mind, the idea of a, of a gas station. So we, as New Jerseyans, we, we roll up to a gas station, and we sit in our car, we roll down the window, hand them our credit card, fill it up regular, and we let the peons and the plebs do the work for us, right? We go back to looking at our phone, messing with the radio. We don't have to do any of the work. Unfortunately, the other 48 states have to get out in the cold weather or in the heat like this. Well, actually, it's beautiful today, but, you know, the heat that we've been having, and pump their own gas. So that's, that's the self-serve. And I know sometimes it's it would be actually better for me to pump my own gas because it takes too long or I'd rather do it myself. But those are the two types of service stations we have. But I, what I want you to think about, imagine a, a gas station where you are not sitting there receiving gas, where you're not even getting out and pumping your own gas, but imagine a gas station where you roll up, you park your car, you get out of your car and you put gas in somebody else's car. You get out in the heat, you get out in the cold weather, and not only do you pump their gas for them, you get that little squeegee out and you wipe down their windshield. Maybe you get the back windshield and you make sure everything's good. You ask them to pop their hood, see if their fluids are okay, make sure they have enough windshield washer fluid. And then at the end, you pay for the gas, you give them one of these, and you say, have a nice day. That would be what I would call a self-sacrificial service station. And I think that is sort of how the Christian life is, and maybe there are three types of categories of Christians. Somebody who comes here on Sunday morning, and they sit in the seat, and they're ready to receive so that they can get filled up and then they can leave, right? They're, they're kind of like a consumer. We could think of church sometimes. In some churches, it almost feels like a Starbucks. Churches are getting very good at, at serving coffee, and in, in our back here, we have regular and extra strong coffee. But the Christian life isn't like that. Maybe you think of church as a self-service station where you come in in the morning and you're not waiting to be helped by other people, but you're focused on God's word. You're, you're singing your heart out. You're doing the confession of sin the way that it should be done, thinking about your sin. And you are trying to improve yourself as you come here on Sunday morning. But really, that's, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're, when we come in here the front door on Sunday morning, we are supposed to be serving and pouring out ourselves into other people. That's the attitude that we're supposed to be having when we come in on Sunday morning. And oftentimes, we come in on an empty tank. I know Will mentioned he's, he's on an empty tank this morning. This is the context for this passage. So on, as we think about how we are to be Christians... I want us to think about the road to reconciliation. And the first stop on the road to reconciliation, we're going to see in, in verse 15. We're going to, the first stop 
and this would be my first point, is go alone. When someone sins against you, it is your job as a Christian to confront them. Let's look at verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take, well, we're going to stop right there. Go alone. That is, that's a scary feeling. That's a scary thought. One of the most uh, difficult things to do in the world is public speaking. People would rather die than, than engage in public speaking. They did a ranking of what is the most terrifying thing. It's public speaking, death after that, and then probably after that is co- confronting other people. Can you imagine a situation and circumstance where somebody sits you down, maybe this has happened to you, and said, you know, something you did the other day really bothered me, and I want to share it with you. I, I can't really can't think, I'd rather be up here, I may be rather dead, I do not like confrontation. And I, and I suspect many of you, raise your hand if you do not like confrontation. How many of you do like confrontation? I, I'd be interested. We've got a couple people who are interested in it, and maybe you, this is a sermon for you. So this is your moment to shine. But it is, a, it is a really scary feeling to have to confront people in their sin. And, but Jesus is calling us to do that. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is the, the pattern that Jesus has given to us. He says, you need to walk by faith so that if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is, a, this is one of the hardest passages, I think, in Scripture, to go to confront somebody who has done something wrong to you. I know that there are many times where I have thought about it, and then I've chickened out. There have been times where I know that somebody else should have done it to me and said, hey, there's something wrong, but they've, we maybe pass each other in the hall, and you kind of just don't look at them. But, I'm, but Jesus is calling us here as a servant in the context of servanthood as going to somebody and telling them their fault. And what, why, would he tell, why would he tell us to do that? Are we God? Are we our brother's keeper? Well, no, he says, here's the purpose for it. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have gained your brother. And so, if we think about it in the context of what we saw earlier in chapter 18 and later on, this is an act of service. This is, this is one of those times where, you know, when the parent says, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. This is something where, if this is painful, we do not want to do this. But we are called as people of God, and Jesus says, to gain your brother. Of course, when we're doing this, we're doing it in a humble attitude, right? We're not doing it because we're trying to get revenge on somebody. We're not doing this so that we can show how great we are and be super spiritual. We're doing it for, this, for the sole purpose of gaining our brother and, and restoring them back to us, fellowship with them, and so then they can have fellowship with God. Every single Sunday, we pass the peace. And that it kind of almost seems lost on us sometimes, that we're just the time where you get up and you just the meet and greet time of, of the service. But this is the time that we have where it's a, it's a ritual, but it's for the purpose of thinking our minds on the idea that we are supposed to be having fellowship one with another because of the fellowship that we have with Christ. And as we seek to be true servants of Christ, we're going to 
do what Jesus has us to do. Now, one, um, one caveat here is that this extends to private sins only. This extends to private sins only. What do I mean by private sins? If someone commits a crime, a major crime, say it's an assault, murder, uh, theft, or something like that, you have the God-given right and ability to bring that to the authorities. That's not necessarily just a one-on-one thing for you. If someone is caught in adultery, this is not just a you-and-that-person thing at this point. This is, this is public. This is something for the church to deal with. But we're talking about sins that are between, uh, that, where one person has been offended, and that's where you are called to go to them directly. Now, you might think, well, didn't Jesus call us to, to long-suffering, to forbearance, to turning the other cheek? Aren't we called to be people who just overlook offenses? And that is true. There are minor slights and minor inconveniences in, in times where we are to overlook uh, a, a comment or uh, an incons- somebody being inconsiderate. But don't let that uh, caveat scare you away from doing the hard work. You, you should be able to tell the difference. If a person's sin, if unchecked, leads them down the road to hurting additional people or to ruining their relationship with God or with the church, that's when you need to be confronting somebody. But the first way to do it is to go it alone. It's our job. But that brings us to our second point. What if you, what if you go to somebody and you tell them their fault they listen to you and they're like, hmm, that's interesting. Well, I don't see it that way. I disagree. I think you're in the wrong in this situation. What's the next step? And this is where we ratchet up the pressure. Let's take a look at step two. He says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If you're familiar with the Bible especially the Old Testament, the term two or three witnesses is very specific. In the Old Testament, God gave the civil law to the children of Israel. And when they were uh, adjudicating any kind of crime or bringing anything before a court, there must be two or three witnesses. There cannot be circumstantial evidence. There could not be just one witness. This he said versus she said. This had to be corroborating evidence. And so as we ratchet up uh, we, we ratchet up the pressure here, we're taking it to the next level. This is a, a legal language that, that Matthew or Jesus is using here in Matthew. And the question is, well, how do we know when we need to do it? Well, sometimes we know that familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes you just can't stand to hear something from somebody closest to you. I know a lot of you here, I've known a lot of you for, for a long time, and, and uh, there's no yelling in a house like there is between brother and sister, right? Or sister and sister, or brother and brother. There are things that I've heard myself say to pe- members of my own family that I would never say to anybody else, and it's because that familiarity breeds contempt, a lot of you know that my wife has um, recently, or I guess within the last two years, started a business, and it's, it's going rather well. 
And so as the, the business has been going on, um, she wants to learn how to do more marketing, better marketing, right? So some of you know I, I'm in marketing full time and I do that as my profession. I'm a digital marketer by trade. But my wife found a course online to take, a paid course to do digital marketing. And she's like, I want to spend a few hundred bucks on this course and I'm, I'm like uh, looking around <laughs> my, my, my own candid camera here. So she, so she took the course and she's going, going through it and learning some really good information, some, some things that I, I took some pointers from. She says, hey, did you know that if you do this and this, you can expect this type of return on your investment? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I did know that. <laughs> and you know, did you know that if you, you know, post at this time, you know, this is the best practice for this? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I did know that. I did know that. <laughs> we didn't have to spend all that money for you to learn information that I could have told you. But why was it, the, why did she do that? And I asked her if I could use that illustration. She said that was fine. But it's actually, it's actually better to hear things sometimes from people that you are not intimately close with because it just hits different, right? Because she knows my faults. She knows my sins. She knows my flaws. And sometimes when you bring somebody else in to hear the message that you can't hear from somebody close to you, it's helpful and beneficial. And Jesus knows that. He created our brains. He knows the psychology. He knows that we have difficulty hearing and understanding things from people that we're close to. Jesus even experienced this. He went back to his hometown and he said, truly a prophet is not without honor, except where? In their own hometown. You know, the guy next door, it's hard to hear it from. We'd rather pay somebody in a seminar. We'd rather pay somebody far away to give us this advice. We'd rather go on YouTube or we'd rather look at Instagram and find the, the latest life hack for our lives. But the work that our parents have done in our lives, the work that our teachers, the work that our, our spiritual leaders and our pastors and elders, sometimes it just goes bing until it's put in a different context. And Jesus knows this. So, he says, take two or three witnesses. Because if you are in a situation, in a circumstance where you have a, a beef with somebody else and there's a problem and you say, you know, you always do such and such or, you, you know, in this instance, you did that and you said that in this way. I say, no, I didn't. I have come to find that I have very low emotional in, intelligence and, and being unable to read people in, in many circumstances. So when we're talking about, you know, confronting people, we may have to form that orderly queue at the back of the, the sanctuary because there's a possibility, a very good possibility, I've said something to you or done something or not done something that I said that I was going to do, and you might be pretty ticked off at me, and I have no idea. But if we are in a position where we are living life together, we are able to hear from one another, that's where God wants us to be. In our lives together, we can't hear it one-on-one -on -one sometimes, but we can hear it from the group. And someone says, you know, this is what you, you, you've done or this is what you always do. Uh, it's, it's really starting to bother me. And you say, no, that's not the way things are. And then you bring two or three people in and say, well, you know what, Joe? 
you really are doing that all the time. I say, really? If you find yourself in that position, you think everybody's crazy, or if you think that you've, you don't have any problems in your life and in your relationships, there's a very good chance that it actually might be you. We've, we've even uh, systematized this process when it comes to the marketplace where there's the wisdom of the crowd. People look at crowdsourced information. They look at even crowdsourced academics or, or research. We look at reviews online. And if multiple people are giving us the testimony, there's a very good chance that it's true. Sometimes it's not true, and sometimes we have to go against the grain. And maybe we're in a church or a situation or an environment where there's abuse going on, where we're part of a cult, we're part of a, you know, everybody's been deluded. That's a very real possibility. And, and a passage like Matthew 18 has been used many times to abuse spiritually people and to beat them down and to bring them into submission. But that's not... Just because people misuse a tool doesn't mean it's not the right tool to use. Just because there are bad fathers out there doesn't mean that, Christ, that God is not our Heavenly Father and Christ is our brother. Just because we have bad relationships or we see things misused and abused uh, in Scripture doesn't mean that they're not true. This is God's pattern for us to be reconciled to one another. This is God's pattern for the elders of our church to deal with issues. We've heard... Uh, Many sermons over the, or I guess four or five sermons over the past month while Pastor Phil's been uh, on leave about the roles and responsibilities of elders. And let me tell you what, all the stuff that we're talking about here in this passage is not fun at all. If you think that you would like to become an elder, Will Bouse is shaking his, <laughs> shaking his head. Rick's been through this for the last 50 years or so, something like that. There, this, this, is not fun, this is not fun stuff. We don't like doing this. When I, I would rather play with my kids and have a good time with them than correct them. It would be so much easier to be like, go play some video games. But this is the hard work that God's calling us to do so that we can be reconciled to one another and that we can be reconciled to God. So that's why community is crucial. We cannot... We will not be able to hear someone speaking into our lives if we're not part of their daily lives. And that's very difficult, especially today. We don't all live in the same town. Some of us live 20, 30 minutes away, and some of us live 20, 30 minutes the other direction. And so it's hard for us to do that. That's why it's important for us to be here together on Sunday morning, to spend time after service, to be here for the men's and women's Bible studies, for youth group, for other events that we have. But more than that, to call one another during the week have one another over if, we don't, if we're not doing that, and I have not been the best at doing that. This is the opportunity that we have, living life together in community, crucially integrated, so that we can speak into one another's lives. Now with this second aspect of the, the road to reconciliation, the two or three witnesses aspect, sometimes it can be done without the pastor or without the elders. It could be you and your brother and somebody who knows them, or two people in a, in a peer group. That would be the ideal situation. As elders in the church, it's amazing when we hear about ministry and reconciliation and things that happen in the church that have nothing to do with us. Phil, I've heard Phil say this probably once or twice, once 
every month or every other month. He loves hearing when people are doing the shepherding and pastoring and work of the ministry without us, and we do not want to be involved. So this time that we have this morning and the, and the past sermons that, that you've heard over the past month, those are intended to give you the tools so that you can do these things yourself, so that you can be a fully equipped servant. You know, I was just talking to someone here about uh, changing tires recently, and I've changed a tire before in my life, and it's uh, not some, I, I've had very, very few flat tires in my life. It's been like amazing, like two, possibly, two or three, which is amazing because I've been driving since I was 17, and I've driven a whole lot, very few breakdowns on the road in my life, but you know what's going to happen is when I go home, <laughs> on the way home, that'll happen. But I realized the other day as I was talking to, my, to somebody else in the church about changing a tire that I do not know where the tire, the spare tire is on my wife's car. It's a relatively new car. I've never had to use it. I'm assuming it's underneath, but I don't know where the key to unlatching it is. And I'm unprepared. I have AAA, but I'm unprepared if that car gets a flat tire and breaks down. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have felt unprepared to handle what's going on here in this passage. You've probably known that you're supposed to be doing some of these things, going to somebody and being a servant to them and reconciling with them or pointing them to Christ so that they can be reconciled, but you haven't known how to do it. And so that's why we're taking this, the time this morning. But in an ideal situation, you're going to win your brother or sister back with the first step or if that doesn't work, you're going to do it with the second step, and it's not going to involve the pastors. Step 2A or 2B is going to be bringing in the pastors and elders, or maybe one or two of them, to hear the, the situation. But if that doesn't work, it's time for step 3, which is tell it to the church. Let's look at verse 17. If he, your brother, refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. <clears throat> Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again I say to you, if two or three on earth, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And this is a theological little rabbit hole here, but you hear this phrase, where two or three are gathered, let's all pray together, where two or three are gathered. That phrase is talking about church discipline. That's, <laughs> so whenever you hear the two or three are gathered, let's get together for a prayer meeting, that means they're about to talk about you. <laughs> or that's what they should be doing. But if... The road to reconciliation, on the first stop of reconciliation, you are not able to break through. And on the second step, after telling two or three people, it's time to tell it to the church. And we've had these types of issues in our church before. But why is it that we're to tell it to the church? It's because the church is a sphere of authority given to us by God. The church is a sphere of authority given to us by God. There are four different spheres of authority that you should be focused on in your life. The first one is self-discipline, self-government. The second is family government. 
The third is church government, and the fourth is civil government. And those are the institutions that God has given to you to correct you in your life. And how do we know this? How do we know that it's not just tell it to the church just because they'll shun you or that it's good gossip or we're just going to peer pressure you into doing what we think that you should be doing? In verse 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I don't really have a whole lot more time to be able to go into what all this means. But suffice it to say that God has given elders and the church to exercise church discipline in a very real spiritual way. Many of you were raised Roman Catholic and you know that uh, the, the fundament, one of the fundamental tenets of Roman Catholicism is that there is no other church, that this is the church. And if you go outside into Protestantism or to an evangelical church, you're out of the, out of the club. And they overemphasize the, the authority and rule of the church, even to the point where it denigrates Scripture. It puts Scripture in a second position. It puts the church above. And that's not what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do is say that God has given the community and the leaders in the community to be able to speak into your life so that it can guard you against error, guard you against sin, and bring you into full restoration. As we saw earlier, the key to this entire passage is that your elders, your teachers, your parents, the people in authority over you should be doing all this as a servant, not to lord it over you and not to get you to do what they want you to do, but so that you can be reconciled to God. Discipline is a loving thing that God uses. And one of the interesting things is that we've had to do church discipline types of things in our elders' meetings, and it typically takes many hours of people on the phone and on Zoom calls and in person and standing outside in the cold in a parking lot <coughs> um, for hours on end when we'd rather be, you know, watching the game. And we're doing these things because we love you and we love the church. And one thing that I, I know Phil says to me frequently, because I'm the, the clerk right now, is like, we're getting, we need to put this and that in the minutes because when this person's child grows up and they want to see the minutes or they want to read about or they want to know about what happened with my parents' divorce or what happened with you know, this situation and circumstance in my life, where, where were the elders? Where were the shepherds? It's like, well, we did what we were supposed to do and we put it in the minutes because we did what we thought was right to do. And a lot of times... This is going to be an opaque process and not a, not a, um, you're not going to be able to see this all the time. But I'm calling you as somebody who's on the inside a little bit to trust that, that the elders, for, for my part and for the brothers that I, I serve here with, we care about you and your eternal salvation. And so if this, any of these steps is applied to you, it's because we love you and we want to serve you. I'm running out of time here, but I want to, to wrap up by mentioning the fourth stop on the road to reconciliation is the, is the binding and loosing. And I've already kind of mentioned this a little bit, but you remember where Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of God, and in another place it says that whatever you loose on earth will be loosed 
in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And here we see echoes of that. And so the discipline of the Lord, the binding and the loosing, is a reference to taking communion and to being excluded from the church. In verse, uh, verse 17, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that's, you know, this idea of, the Amish have the idea of shunning. We don't do shunning here, but the idea that you would just push somebody out of the church and out of your life because they're not listening to correction, that doesn't seem loving to me on, on its face, right? It seems like, well, I should be going after them. I should be going over hill and valley and, and pursuing these, somebody over and over and over again. But sometimes letting somebody go, excluding them from the assembly, is one of the most loving things you could do for that person. You've already gone through and talked to them individually. They wouldn't listen to you as a brother. You've brought two or three witnesses along with you, somebody who knows the situation and is willing to speak into their lives. So it's not just you being the crazy one, it's, it's, it's the group. And then you've gone and you've told it to the church and to the elders of the church and not willing. You're all a bunch of crazies. I know what I'm doing. I wasn't wrong. You're the ones who are crazy and wrong. After that, the final step is to exclude them. And sometimes that's what it takes in order for God to use that to bring them back to himself. And so that's the goal. So, really quickly, I want to go through three quick points of application. How are we supposed to use this in our lives? You have it laid out here. Here's your roadmap. Here's, your, here's the toolkit of changing your tires here on the road to reconciliation before you get to that gas station, that self-sacrificial service station. Here's the application. Learn to have a servant's heart. Learn to have a servant's heart. Be like the child here. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you're like a child. Turn and become like a child. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Be like the shepherd who goes after the, the one sheep who leaves the 99, leaves his comfortable shepherd stand, and goes into the wilderness, through the water, through the through the perils to reconcile people back to, to you and to God. So we have a servant, we need to learn to have a servant's heart. But we also need to listen to God's servants. God is using every one of us in your life to bring you closer to the image of Christ. There are people that God is using in your life, in your life, whether it's through the trials and tribulations that that person's bringing to you, whether it's your children who are causing you to be more sanctified because you're learning to rest on Him, whether it's a difficult situation or circumstance, God is using other people to speak into your life. So maybe instead of you needing to understand how to do this so you can do it to somebody else, maybe it's about to be done to you. You need to walk humbly, and when you see this and you see like, uh-oh, I'm getting that phone call. I'm getting that email that I need to have a meeting with somebody. I want you to look at this passage and think about the steps here. Being gained by your brother. Be humble enough. Be a servant to realize who you are in relation to God. I mentioned at the beginning of, of the passage how this should be part of a larger context of servanthood. 
And we have the parable of the unforgiving servant where he was forgiven a great debt and immediately he gets, he gets out of his jam, he gets forgiven his great debt, but then he grabs the servant by the collar and says, pay me what you owe me. I mean, how terrible is that? But isn't that what we're doing here? When we are not exercising Matthew 18, the tools here with, with, without love, without compassion, without a servant's attitude, we need to walk humbly when we're receiving instruction or when we are needing to give it. And my third application point is for you to love your fellow servants who are perishing. The question that we have is do we care enough to say hard things? Do we care enough to say hard things? And many of us probably, as, as I've been speaking here, I'm sure there's somebody in your life that you know that you've got to say something very difficult to. Maybe it's, maybe it's me. It probably is me. It's probably me. But if it's not me, if it's somebody else, this is your wake-up call to, to do that. And it's not because you're getting revenge. It's not because you're being petty. It's not because you're not being uh, forbearing and loving to that person. It's because you are trying to reconcile them to God the way you have been reconciled to God through Christ. We are called to be equipped to be agents of change in this world. So as we consider these things, the call really is to sacrificial service. When you come here on Sunday morning, when you're here during the week, when you're living your life, don't just be the person who pulls up to get filled. Don't even be the person to try to work on yourself, to take all these principles and say, you know, I I know what I need to do, and I'm just going to do it. And I don't really even need anybody else to help me. I'm just going to, just me and my Bible, me and Jesus. I'm just going to do it myself. That's the self-serve station. But I want you to be a self-sacrificial service station. Pour your life into someone else. Use this not as, don't look at this merely as discipline, but as reconciliation and the tool that God has given us so that we may glorify him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for how you've given us the steps to be right with you and to be right with other people. Lord, we confess that many times we have not done the hard things that we have been called to do. We have not loved other people enough to tell them the truth. Either we've been scared or we've been, have held them in contempt like the prodigal son's older brother who doesn't care if his brother comes back but asks what's in it for me. Lord, help us to look at the example of Christ who didn't just leave us to our own sin but came down, lived among us, bore our sin on his body and served and washed his disciples' feet including the disciple that was going to betray him. Lord, please help us to have a servant-like heart like this. Help us to be equipped to do your work as we go forward in this world for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. 
We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.